At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The road ahead for your money is 2020 coming to a close. Which stocks and sectors will work best in the year ahead? We will debate and discuss that with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, John Ajarian, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors, and Michael Farr is the president of Farr Miller in Washington. We kick it off today as we always do. A look at the trade, another record setter early on. Dow has fallen back, though everything really has. NASDAQ's negative, as is the Russell. S&P hanging on to just about a five-point gain. I know everybody is thinking about what this new year is going to bring John and Jerry, and I go to you first because you have what may be some very interesting clues as to how some big bets are already being placed. Tell us. Sure, Scott. Well, um, virtually as we hit those new highs, we had very significant put buying show up on our computers, our algorithms. And uh, it wasn't small. It was huge. It was 14,000 contracts in one strike. Um, It was 50,000 contracts in another strike. Those are very big. That's enough to get your attention. And the fact that they're buying out of the money puts just as the market hits that new high and the market reverses, Scott. Now, that doesn't say that we have to go straight down and it has to be a 10 or a 20 percent correction. But some very big money, because these were, you know, $5 million to $20 million trades, that were going off in fractions of a second. When that happens, that tells you that people that are running very large sums of money either want protection or they're betting that we roll over. One of those two things in the first few weeks of the next year. So we thought it was noteworthy for our clients and uh, we shot it over to you at CNBC because these were some of the biggest put trades I've seen in a while. You know, it's interesting and we're talking about the, the, the cues which are obviously um, tech-related. Mm-hmm. I want you to listen to uh, Thomas Petterfee of Interactive Brokers. He was on our network not that long ago and noticed something that's happening on their platform for the very first time ever as it relates to options traders as well. Let's listen to Mr. Petterfee, and we can talk about that on the other side. Fantastic unusual thing happened among our customers about a week ago. Our customers are traditionally always long the market. A week ago, it has changed. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, situation. It, it has never happened in our history that our customers as a whole were not sure the market. But as of yesterday, that is the case. John, I mean, that matches up almost word for word with sort of what you're seeing 
trade for trade, right? I mean, Mr. Petterfee's talking about their options customers for the first time ever on their platform being net short the market. And you're talking about some very big trades that have been placed in the same direction. He also noted it was technology based. That's what you've seen, too. Yeah, it is the QQQs, Scott. Um, it's everything basically from, uh, I think, the 288 strike in the Qs all the way down to the 263 strike, something like that, Scott. And again, uh, is it prudent to try to lock in some of the gains in particular for something like the tech stocks that have climbed so fast uh, since March? Uh, yeah, it is prudent. Um, and is it uh, as Mr. Pettifree says, though, um, maybe more than just a little noteworthy that these people are net short at a big professional shop like Interactive Brokers. I think that tells you a lot that people that are you know, uh, concerned about uh, at least an initial uh, start to the year not being quite as rosy as it has been since basically the election till now. So, Steph, you know, what, what do you want to take from this and, in, in, you know, mash it up maybe with your own view about where you think the at least the early part of 2021 is going to go? I think it's on everybody's mind right now, given where we are in, in this year and what lies ahead uh, for 2021. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe in the short term you could see some volatility. We have the Georgia runoff next week, right? So, and the market is not pricing in a blue wave. So I could easily see volatility creeping up into that event, and we'll see what happens. Uh, because the market, investors like gridlock, as we've said, and the blue wave would not be gridlock. It would be higher taxes and more regulation. But you, you, to answer your question, and for all of 2021, not trying to market time it, I do think we've talked about these three things, meaning vaccine progress, Fed liquidity, and now you have this fiscal package that was done. And the reason that's so important is because it is the bridge between now and when we all get a vaccine, right? And I don't know when that's going to be. Scott, is that first quarter? Is that second quarter? Is that second half? But it is coming. And as a result, I think you're going to see growth reaccelerate in GDP and in also in earnings. I'm not expecting multiple expansion. We got that this past year, right? We're not going to get that next year. But we are going to have, I think, higher earnings. And I want to own the reopened stocks because their earnings have gotten hit so much harder. And they will see a much stronger recovery as we reopen. So, you know, Michael Farr, you take what... what John has seen and what Mr. Petterfee has said and, and what, what Steph's perspective is, and you sort of meld into what Tom Lee has, has told us. And he's looking for S&P 4000 in the early part of 2021. He <laughs> says, quote, strong markets finish strong. Uh, President Trump signs a relief bill, better late than never. The third wave of COVID is uh, rolling over, he says, uh, even though you're seeing hospitalizations and deaths continue to rise, and that's a lagging indicator. Um, and something obviously to be concerned about. And there's growing market skepticism about the rally. All of that and the likes of which we've just talked about are reasons why the market's going to go 4,000, uh, you know, 10 percent upside bef before maybe you, ha you have a, a correction. W what do you think? Sure. I mean, yes, maybe we see that 10 percent upside before you have the correction. <laughs> I'd be interested in asking Tom Petterfee if there's been a shift in his customer base. 
because if it really has become more institutional, then perhaps there's, more, uh, there's a higher percentage of hedging going on. This strikes me as a short-term protection move. It's, it's, it sure looks like a trade. You've got indexes making all-time highs. Coming into year-end, Steph mentioned the uh, Georgia election. We, we have to see uh, what sort of bill actually makes it through the Senate here for spending and everything else. So when stocks are making new all-time highs, it certainly makes sense you would have some pullback at some point, and it sounds like that op option activity is sort of protecting themselves, if not anticipating some profits, should we get that pullback. But longer term, what does 2021 look like? S&P estimates are up 22% earnings estimates for 2021. Uh, stuff's high, but you get 20% earnings increases, even if you get that multiple contraction Steph talked about, you get decent returns in stocks. Whenever I feel that way, I start to get nervous just because I'm nervous. But uh, it strikes me as a short-term <laughs> trade, Scott, right now for the options, uh, not a long-term trade. Yeah, I mean, look, even Weiss <clears throat> yesterday, uh, if, if you all will recall, he had his um, bear Even spread Weiss? on. It's, you know, it's an options way of another options way of, of sort of hedging your bets and protecting to some maybe expected downside that he sees as well as you get into the Georgia runoffs and, and some other things happen. Um, Tiffany, what's your view? And then I want to uh, switch directions before I get to Josh. Tiff? Yeah, so, so, so much. I mean, first of all, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a trader. I'm a long-term investor. And I think that, you know, we, we do have some, you know, tailwinds. You know, finally, we do have stimulus. Uh, but I'm concerned about how long it takes for those stimulus checks to get in the hands of the American people. You know, last time it took a few months. Um, the IRS, this is their busy time of the year. So, you know, I, I know there have been, you know, th there's been talk about um, checks getting into, you know, getting into the hands of American people rather quickly. But I want to wait and see how long it's actually going to take. Because the reality of it is that, you know, the market is not the economy. But I think long term, the market depends on the economy, depends on spending. And so the reality for a lot of American people <laughs> Is that you know moratoriums on on um, on um, evictions and um, you know uh, foreclosures are going to be up, and so I want to see what that other. Uh, what, what support kind of lies there for, for American people. And I want to see, you know, how, how long before they can get some relief. Mm -hmm. um, also on my mind is how long, is, is how many people will actually take the vaccine. I think that there needs to be a lot of education around that. Um, and so, again, we're talking second quarter, even in the third quarter, you know, 2021, for us to really see, um, really see kind of like the, the um, implications of all this stuff. Yeah. Josh, look, you've made it made it clear to, uh, to us in the in the last days uh, minimum that you've been positive on where we are and where you where you think we could go um what what i want to do i mean because i think you know it it's hard for people to sort of figure out you know how much good news is already in the market how much is the market already anticipated the vaccine and, and what that's going to mean for a reopen and then how to play it if you continue to go with growth if you continue to go with the stay at home or if you continue to rotate to stocks that have done really well of late, and that's the reopen trade. And I, I want to pose that to you from one of our viewers, one of our friends who has uh, sent a video message to us with a question. We've been doing that on Ask Halftime. But here's Mike Francesa with a question that I think on everybody's mind. First, a very, very uh, happy new year to everybody, the audience and everybody obviously working on the program. Um, and a happy and healthy and hopefully safe new year as we say goodbye thankfully to 2020. Now to the question. 
We have seen this radical seesaw between the so-called stay-at-home stocks and the old economy stocks on almost a daily basis now, and it has been very pronounced. Do you think that will continue into the new year, or will we see that level off in the weeks to come? And again, a very, very happy holidays to everybody. All right, right back at you, Mike Francesa. Uh, So, Josh, what do you think about that? First of all, love the Pope. What's up, Mike? Um, to put it in to put it in a parlance that I think Mike will feel very uh, comfortable with, this is not like you have to choose between being Mets or Yankees, right? And like if you wear a Yankees hat one day <laughs> and a Yankee uh, Mets jersey the next day, people are looking at you funny. This isn't like that. So I think the optimal portfolio is a mix of both. And Stephanie has been all over this concept for six months now. Um, and and look. We're in a really great time in the market right at this moment because you have a couple of cross currents that I think you could take advantage of. The first thing is the all-country world index, which is the first thing I look at, okay? Most people don't. They look at the Dow or the S&P. The all-country world index today, all-time high. So you have confirmation that it's not just about viral cases in the U.S. There's something much bigger afoot here, which is a synchronized global recovery, which the last time we had one in 2017 was one of the best years ever. So we seem to be in that place right now where everyone is kind of getting their act together at the same time. The Nikkei 225 just hit a high it hasn't seen since 1990, 30-year high in the Nikkei. Japan's about 6% of the global stock market opportunity used to be much bigger, might be bigger in the future. This is an important story. Look at a chart of Toyota if you think Tesla is the only auto company breaking out. Toyota has broken out, new record high. Okay, so you have that as the backdrop, good things happening. Now you've got this yield curve uh, steepening, which is important, right? 81 basis points, that's a high from before the pandemic, which lends credence to that idea of a global expansion. The dollar remains weak. Great for a lot of areas within the S&P 500, exporters, industrials, etc. You've got all these great things happening. But here's the best thing. The Robinhood trades are blowing up. The Wall Street Bets trades are blowing up. And you need that froth to come off the market. I had Michael Batnick run these numbers for me this morning. Snowflake is in a 21% drawdown. So if two weeks ago you were, like many of us, wanting to rip your own eyeballs out and throw yourself from a bridge because you didn't get into Snowflake, those people are now at a bear market. Airbnb is in a 12% drawdown. DoorDash, 25% Zoom, drawdown. Palantir right? down 12% let's, from its let's high. Let's talk Zoom. This, Josh, this is Zoom, what you want. Zoom has fallen from a high of uh, 588 in October to Zoom 350. Is Zoom is 350. I'm long Zoom. GoodRx is in a, is in a, a, a massive drawdown, 25%. Uh, C3 AI. These were stocks that you would look at and you would be like, how come nobody told me to buy this? And it made you crazy. Those, those tops are all blowing off, which is great because it means you can breathe. You can take your time. When the market is trending, you can't think straight. And now you've got this reset. In the meantime, go look at the greatest hit stocks. Go look at the performance right now. Amazon breaking out. Microsoft, Netflix, Facebook, all set up for new breakouts. Um, Apple, all-time high, $2.4 trillion market cap. This is what you want, Disney, record high. So I think we were in a great place, Mike, to do the barbell. The barbell has worked all year. The barbell should continue to work. Don't worry about playing for one team or the other. You can be in both camps. It ain't Mets and Yankees. At, at the same time, though, John. Happy holidays. 
John Najarian, uh, you're trimming a lot of the stocks that Josh just mentioned all across your book. Yep. Well, um, because, Scott, I'm lucky enough to have um, a, a non-taxable account that I'm trading in. So uh, with commissions at virtually nil, um, what I've done, Scott, is I've trimmed almost everything except Walmart, Target, and Apple. Virtually everything else I've been pulling out of stock and putting on option But to be spreads. clear, why? let's be because clear. Let's be clear, yep. and I'll let you ex- ex- explain why in a second. You've trimmed Facebook. Sure. You've trimmed Microsoft. You've mm-hmm. trimmed Amazon yep. and Netflix and J.P. Mm-hmm. Morgan, Oracle, Las Vegas Sands. Yeah. Well, because I don't just talk the talk, I walk the walk, Scott. If I'm telling you that I'm lightening up, um, that doesn't mean that, oh, I'm just going to sell 50 shares here or something like that. No, I'm significantly lightening up my exposure to equities here through the equities themselves. In other words, selling stocks that have had this outperformance and holding on to little bits of those stocks through an option or an option spread. I have a lot less risk in a $5 option spread in Microsoft than I do at a $225, $230 stock and look at where it was in March. So that's what I've done. Taken those trades, um, lightened up significantly in many of those, and then put on option spreads to take advantage of, if there is still more gas in the tank, Scott, I'd love to be there. But if we do experience what I've said that we might be looking at because of these large put trades and the hedging that's going on, a 10% or more correction in 2021 early, well, I'd rather not experience that pain of going from Zoom at 588 down to 350. I'd rather be getting out um, at those higher numbers and buying back in at the lower numbers. That's what I'm trying to set myself up for. We Scott. got a good battle, Steph. We got a good battle. We got what some options traders are doing, uh, some sentiment that the market needs a correction before it can get restarted with the great commentary and stats that Josh gave us of how this market is acting exactly the way that you would want it to act if you were positive on where things can go and that some stocks, big ones, are poised for a breakout. So let's make sense of that. <laughs> well, you want to be you want to be diversified. They can both that's, be that, right. that's the name of the game. It, sure. Well, look, I think you want to be diversified, though. And, and, and Josh mentioned the barbell. I'm, I'm trying to find a new uh, word for us for, for 2021, not barbell. Um, but that that concept, obviously. But right? Steph, your your um, but Steph, your your largest overweights. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish. Forgive me. Your largest overweights right now are industrials, materials, discretionary, and financials. Reopen, 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 reopen. Right. <laughs> Recover, recovery, recovery, recovery. Right. Global recovery. So Josh mentioned the All Country World Index. I'm looking at copper at the highest level since 2011. I'm looking at aluminum, up 40% from the March lows. Steel, up 65% from the March lows. It's telling you something. It's telling you that there is a global recovery because we've had $90 trillion pumped into the system globally. So of course I believe that all of this is going to lead to, all this liquidity is going to lead to better growth. That's why I want to own economically sensitive stocks. I've got some stocks, Scott, that are still down enormously, right? Boeing is still down 33% year-to-date. VF Corp is down 15% year-to-date. Schlumberger down 47% year-to-date. So I am actually slowly nibbling on some of these names because I think that they're going to see a nice recovery. And at the same time, I'm not selling Apple. I'm not selling Google. 
right? I'm, I'm not selling my secular technology names because I do want to have exposure there. But you really can't have it. You don't want to, to Josh's point, you don't want to all own all of one thing. I happen to be skewed more towards the cyclical reopen for the reasons I just said. You sold but UPS. But I also still want to have these other names. You sold UPS. Tell I us did why. sell UPS because it's up 50 percent. And you're at peak earnings. You're at peak volumes. And I don't think they can keep up with these volumes. Look what happened to FedEx. That stock fell really quickly, and it hasn't recovered because their volumes were records, but their costs were actually much too high to invest in their network. And so I took money. I took money off the table. I took profits up 50%. I still think it's a great company long term. But I put it into Union Pacific, which has lagged the market, and it has lagged its peers by 20 to 30%. And that's all because the COO is leaving. But I do think that they've made a lot of strides in terms of overhead and cost initiatives. And so I think that's a better buy because I think even though at 26 times earnings seems expensive, I think those earnings are trough and freight volumes are up 14 straight weeks in a row. That's good for the rails. We're still, Tiffany, in a way, uh, addressing the Francesa question of where you want to be invested. I know the easy answer is barbell. But you have a lot of, well, maybe not a lot. Maybe I'm overstating that. But I know you're invested in at least some of these stay-at-home names, Peloton among others. And I can't remember off the top of my head. You can shed more light on that for me, if you would, in some of these Mm -hmm. stay-at-home names, which at least over the last week have pulled back some. And in some of those cases, over a longer period of time, they've pulled back a lot. And I know we use Zoom as an example because it's a good one to use. But, you know, Teladoc's gone from from 253 to 198. That's not a, you know, nothing to sneeze at in terms of a pullback. Yeah, no. And, and so I, I really take issue with this term stay at home stocks. And so, you know, again, I'm a long term investor. I, I'm, I'm not a trader, um, even though, you know, of course, we're looking at markets every single day. I'm in this for the long term. And so are my clients. Um, so, you know, Teladoc year to date is up 138 percent. So I, you know, th- there are reasons why I like certain names, and I'll, and I'll go over that in a second, but I'm looking for the long term. And so we're in this. We're, I'm, I'm not trading around positions. That's just not what I do. Um, so I think the overarching theme is really, you know, I'm not doing this stay-at-home trade. And so uh, the reason why I bought a company like Lulu was not because everyone was staying home wearing yoga pants. That was great. But, what, but I, I bought Lulu because they were innovative way before February of 2020. Right. So they had a, a really easy user interface um, on, on their app for their for their customers to be able to purchase. They had this. They really dominate the market in terms of this like cult following. I liked them way before 2020 and the decisions that they made that, that management made going into 2020 set them up lovely to take advantage of this of this environment. Same thing with Chipotle. Right. So Lulu is up over 50 percent. Chipotle up year to date, 60 uh, over 65 percent. Teladoc up over 138 um, percent and FedEx. Year to date, I understand there's been some volatility, but year to date, up, up over 73%. I like those names. I'm going to continue to be in those names. Now, while I'm not playing, I never played the reopen trade because I had different reasons for owning those, right? I like innovation and strong management. I do think that... Um, the reopen trade is quite interesting because we are going to see movement as we as we start to move past you know getting the stimulus and getting a vaccine. So there's going to be movement there, and there may be some some opportunities now for me for uh, for me to, for okay. me to buy some of those things. But I don't like the term stay at home. Okay, let me uh, let me do this. Um, let me get some breaking news from Eamon Javers, and then we're going to come to Michael Farr for his best stocks for 2021. But Eamon first has some news for us down in the nation's capital. Eamon. 
Yes, Scott, we're seeing some <clears throat> drama on the Senate floor right now. Senator Chuck Schumer uh, just taking to the floor to try to bring that House bill to beef up stimulus payments to individual Americans uh, from $600 to $2,000. Schumer trying to bring that bill directly to the floor. We saw Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, objecting to that measure. And now we're hearing some remarks here from Bernie Sanders. The two Democrats on the floor in this debate right now, Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer, are arguing that working families simply can't wait any longer for this increase and pointing out uh, that the House of Representatives passed this with a two-thirds majority, including a number of Republicans voting for the increase. Uh, it looks like it's not going anywhere in the Senate, despite the fact that President Trump now supports the idea of these $2,000 payments. We'll monitor Bernie Sanders here and see what Mitch McConnell has to say on the back end of this, but that's the debate that's playing out on the Senate floor right now, Scott. Yeah, Eamon, the debate playing out in the markets, too. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, because we're negative across the board now. S&P's a fractional loser now. Dow's dipped negative by 30-some-odd points, and NASDAQ, which has been underperforming for the better part of the day, is now down by 54. Russell was also red as we came on the air, and that's had a big run in its own right, some saying maybe a little bit too far too fast. Russell's down about 2%. So that's where the bulk of the damage is. The Senate GOP rejecting the $2,000 stimulus checks. That's what Eamon Javers just reported, and you see at least in part maybe what part of that market reaction looks like on the screen. All right, Michael Farr, I teased this up for you. The top 10 stocks for 2021, okay, which you've also written up on CNBC.com, so I ask everybody to check that out um, after our conversation. And what's interesting, none of these, you know, high-flying, growthy names are on here. You've got, there they are on the screen. Nope. I'll read them out for everybody. You could pick out the ones afterwards you want to talk about. Mondelez, Goldman, Valmont, Lowe's, Becton Dickinson, CVS, Raytheon, Medtronic, a couple of the fangs, Apple and uh, uh, Alphabet down at the bottom. Floor is yours, Far. You know, Scott, thank you. I do this every year. Some years are better than other years. And on the 31st in the morning, I sell my last year's top 10 and I buy the next top 10. We did this for an institutional client and I've kept doing it in my own portfolio. Uh, some years been better than others. This year's group I kind of like. These are basically large cap names. Uh, they are at a 10%. The average price to earnings ratio on this list is 10% below the S&P. Earnings growth rate is about 60% higher than the S&P. And just if you think about that, to be able to say, all right, on average, I'm going to buy a little bit of a discount and I'm going to have earnings growth drive the list. We never know if we're going to fit the earnings growth exactly into the right 12-month uh, segment here. But I like these names in that we, uh, I, I think, uh, split Stephanie's barbell. We have some industrial, some real uh, blue chippy names in this portfolio in mm -hmm. these top 10. We have some that are growth. And then we have those rebound stocks as well. So those that are benefiting from COVID and then the rebound stocks, a little bit of everything, financials, healthcare, and our tech stocks. Uh, and I will buy this on the, on the 31st. And Mondelez, uh, to start out with, is one of those uh, that's uh, very, uh, I think, very conservative. <coughs> New management doing a great job with supply chain, a little bit of a dividend, and it's Oreo cookies. How do you yeah. bet against Oreos? Hey, Josh, give me 30 seconds on Alphabet, which you laid out the case for, <laughs> I think it was yesterday or the day before, as to why you think it's going to be the best performing of the fangs. Again, no more than 30 seconds. i got to bounce. Um dominant company, a lot of the things that they weren't able to make money from this year are coming back next year, but then they've also got that work from anywhere uh, component. So I think it works for many reasons. A stay-at-home play, I think you, uh, I mean a, a reopening play. 
uh, if you will, as, as what you called it. Yep. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about a bullish call on one bank stock. It's already surged 40% in two months. Some of our experts own it. Does it have more room to run? We'll reveal the mystery chart next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. I'm Morgan Brennan, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. A Georgia judge is ordering local election officials to allow voting by more than 4,000 people whose eligibility was being challenged ahead of next week's runoff election for the U.S. Senate. The judge ruled that denying them the ballot so close to an election would likely violate the National Voter Registration Act. New dietary guidelines from the FDA have not reduced recommended intake of added sugar or alcohol. This despite calls from the agency's experts to make significant cuts. The dietary guidelines are updated every five years and affect everything from school lunch programs to state health policies. President Trump has been named America's most admired man. That's in Gallup's annual poll. Trump broke Barack Obama's 12-year winning streak with 18% versus Obama's 15%. Trump was the overwhelming choice among Republicans, while Democrats split their votes. Michelle Obama is the most admired woman for the third year in a row. Scott, back to you. Morgan, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Morgan Brennan. All right, Wells Fargo, price target. Today, raised to $35 at Raymond James. The firm says it's an ESG improvement story. It's one of the calls of the day. Stephanie Link knew I was going to come to her. <laughs> because who else? I know, I know. Would I go to for <laughs> no. Wells Fargo? It's had a nice run over the last two months, but it's still down 45% year-to-date. It trades at 0.9 times tangible book, right? And the group's at 1.4 times. And there's a reason for it. Yeah, it could be an ESG play. I kind of think it's creative in terms of that's the reason why they're raising the target. I think it's just, look, this is a turnaround story with a new CEO, a new executive team, a new board, by the way. And they've already set the bar really low. They already lowered numbers. They already cut the dividend. They already increased reserves. So not much more can go um, wrong, I think, at the company. And sure, if, they, if ESG helps them along the way, I'll take it. But honestly, this is you're betting on Sharf, the CEO, I don't understand and the ESG link to reorg. What does that I mean? I think everything is. I think everything that they're everything that they're doing is wrong. So if to the extent they fix things at the company, like their sales practices and that whole thing then I think you can make a case for it. But that's why I say, Josh, it is, it's like kind of an excuse to raise the target price. Raise the target price because you think Sharp is going to yeah. do a good job and expectations are really low. But that's, that, that's my opinion. Is that, well, I don't get it either, um, Steph. What, what Josh is saying, an ESG improvement <laughs> story, what is that? Just better governance because Charlie every Sharp is the every CEO? Every company is an ESG improvement story. <laughs> if, if that one is, then they well, all are. But these guys have... Well, that's, this, is, that's, this is true, Scott. I can add. But you know what? They, they do have a new board. They have a whole new board, by the way. That's really important, right? Because that, that old board, they were absolutely corrupt. So if to, to, to improve governance alone, certainly you could make a case for ESG. That's not why I own it. That's not why I'm, I was buying more two weeks ago. Tiffany? Yeah, so I, I'll just jump in. So, so 
On the ESG front, there are two things. So there, there is research that shows if a company um, comes out and makes a, a public statement um, regarding governance, uh, social, social, me- social metrics, those kinds of things, and has measured progress over time, the stock price tends to go up about 80 basis points. So there's that. And also, you know, linking to um, some environmental practices, if, if a company, you know, has a policy to kind of improve out over time, sometimes, depending on what it is, it, it, it contributes to the bottom line. This is not what this is here. Um, you know, Wells Fargo has had scandal after scandal after scandal. Um, Charlie Scharf is supposed to be the, the CEO that turned it around. Um, but yet, you know, on his watch, uh, you know, th- things have gone down. You can't get on a call with your team and say that we can't find diverse people. Um, that's why we can't hit, hit, hit any goals. And so I don't see this, you know, first of all, they have nowhere to go but up on the ESG score. But, you know, for for investors that are concerned about ESG, um, you know, like my clients, my clients are mission-driven organizations. They just don't want to be a part of that. So it's not about the money. All money isn't good to, to, to some clients. Yeah. Um, guys, this would, let's do this. Uh, there's a story that's breaking right now that I want to, want to talk to you all about. Um, and I know our Leslie Picker is getting ready to come on and, and discuss this with us, too. Can we see shares of Intel, uh, please? Because we're now learning that third point uh, run by Daniel Loeb has uh, sent a letter to Intel uh, pushing the company to explore its strategic alternatives, including whether it should remain an integrated device manufacturer. That, again, is according to a letter that Third Point has sent to Intel's chairman. You could see that shares are up uh, 6% right now. I have the letter in front of me, and it's a little hard to go through as we're having this conversation. I, is Leslie Picker ready yet? Is Leslie's going to be joining us, too. Um, who has uh, some good perspective on third point and the kind of investments uh, that they make. I'm just going to quote you from part of the letter here. Uh, They say, and they point Mm -hmm. out the fact that all all the market share that the company has lost, you know what the stock has done relative to, say, an AMD, which has eaten its lunch, dinner, breakfast, and maybe the the next meal, too, and left Intel uh, certainly in in not the greatest of positions, as you would know, certainly if you own those shares, as some of our investment committee members have in the past. They say, from a governance point of view, again, quoting from the letter, we cannot fathom how the boards who presided over Intel's decline could have permitted management to fritter away the company's leading market position while simultaneously rewarding them handsomely with extravagant compensation packages. Stakeholders will no longer tolerate such apparent abdications of duty. Uh, Those are pretty scathing words. Uh, from Dan Loeb. Considering these and other challenges, he said, we suggest the board retain a reputable investment advisor to evaluate strategic alternatives, including whether Intel should remain an integrated device manufacturer and the potential divestment of certain failed acquisitions. Well, we're waiting for Leslie to join this conversation. Uh, Steph, as I go to Steph and Josh, I don't think anybody owns it now uh, because Josh Brown had it and got rid of it. And I think Pete was still sitting in it, as we even joked about as as or, you know, soon as, as yesterday. Uh, but Steph, what do you think about this? Yep. 100% agree with Dan Loeb. 100%. This company has been a failure, quite frankly. And to give up the market share that they have, and they just gave AMD a three-year lead in seven nanometer processors. And AMD is still now working on a five nanometer processor. Intel can't even get the 10 out the door. So they have been an absolute terrible investment over the years. And I actually remember when I sold this stock, I said the only way this thing goes up is if you do have an activist get involved. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's interesting news, but I don't know what they can do. And they're already they've already succeeded so much market share. And I think AMD is going to continue to to run uh, much, much better. 
Yeah, I mean, and Loeb, Loeb also that, mentions that in the letter. He says under the visionary leadership of Dr. Lisa Sue, of course, she's at AMD. Uh, AMD put its liquidity concerns behind it, has been taking meaningful market share in Intel's core PC and data center CPU markets as well. So, Josh, let me, let me bring in Leslie Picker, uh, who, who's ready to join us now. Les, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Um, it's just you know this stuff better than most. Um, I'm not sure if you had a chance to go through the letter itself. Yeah. Um, I, but you certainly know what, what Third Point's been up to in the past and the kind of things that Dan Loeb does. So we've got three pages here uh, sent to us via a source. Very interesting because we have seen pretty muted activity in terms of activism this year. Uh, this is a very strongly worded letter from Third Point. Uh, strong by, by most standards for Third Point and strong for this year 2020 in particular, especially the fact that they're urging the board to retain a reputable investment advisor to evaluate strategic alternatives, including whether Intel should remain an integrated device manufacturer uh, and asks them to consider divesting certain failed acquisitions here. That is a, a pretty bread and butter uh, activism approach here, looking at, at whether uh, this company should spin off or uh, sell certain uh, assets in order to uh, boost the stock price. They say that they have a significant stake in Intel. This letter in particular does not note what that stake is exactly, but obviously they are uh, very concerned about underperformance relative to peers. Uh, I heard you uh, mention that, you know, from a governance point of view, that compensation is something that they should be rethinking how it's structured in order to better align those incentives uh, with shareholders. Uh, and then they note this, this idea of a, a loss of manufacturing leadership and other missteps that have uh, allowed competitors uh, to, to skip ahead here, mm -hmm. uh, as well as what that's meant for their customers. And they, they note specific customers in the letter, like Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon, uh, which Third Point says are now developing their own in-house silicon solutions um, and sending those designs to be manufactured mm -hmm. in East Asia. So it's, it's a competitive aspect. It's a, a strategic alternatives uh, play here. It'll be interesting to see uh, what Intel says in regard to this letter. Uh, we've reached out to them for comment. Um, and as far as I know, since I've been talking, we have not heard right. back from them yet. Right. I know it's hard to do this stuff like literally on the fly because you don't <laughs> know what calls have come in. But I know you'll you'll let us know if they do respond. Stay with us. So, Josh Brown, I guess the 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 question is, does, does Intel have a shot? Do they have a chance to turn things around or have they fallen too far behind the likes of AMD, even if they do what Third Point and Daniel Loeb want them to do? I think in semiconductors, it's become very similar to software companies and social media companies where the vision from the top became the most important thing. And then, of course, execution of that vision is how you literally um, earn, earn uh, profits, but just having that vision first, and Intel didn't. So they had a promising CEO who I think had a relationship with an employee or something. I, I don't know the whole story. Um, but like ever since then, you look at five years, Intel's up 50% over five years, which is dreadful. The whole semiconductor industry is up like 300%. AMD is up 3,000%. Um, and AMD was a stepchild versus Intel almost its entire life. So what changed? What changed is the big companies in semiconductors had visionary leadership. You look at uh, NVIDIA, you look at AMD, um, you, even Qualcomm is up 250% over that same period of time, last five years. The S&P is up 100%. So Intel has underperformed literally everything, 
and every one because they got no vision. So this is what I'd be curious to hear uh, from third point. Even if they start figuring out who should be leading the company, how they should be compensated, what do they do for a living? Like what is Intel anymore? Because Apple, Amazon, uh, they're having success. Google, building their own chips. They're not going to all of a sudden go back to Intel for those things. So Intel either has to go niche or like very hyper-specialized, which is not a huge business. Um, or I don't know. They're not going to be a foundry. They're not going to do what Taiwan Semi does. So is there room for a chip giant that doesn't really do anything special above and beyond what their top customers have now taught themselves to do? Uh, I really don't have the answer to it. So even though I think Dan Loeb's approach will work, it could take a long time for this company to figure out what their purpose even is anymore in this new era. They have no vision. They're not part of the future in their current configuration. Yeah, I mean, they're also, and Leslie, you know, the very last portion of this letter suggests that, you know, they're keeping their option open as well mm -hmm. to submit their own slate of, of nominees for election to the board. So a proxy contest is not being ruled out. Obviously, if Dan Loeb is talking about potentially doing that at the 2021 annual meeting, um, you know, d depending on what the what the company's response to this letter, which we've now you know made public, uh, is, is going to do. Yeah, and that of course is the ultimate threat, and especially in a first public letter. Uh, you know, we don't know what they've been discussing behind the scenes. If they've been talking behind the scenes, it appears from this letter that that they have been speaking privately. Uh, also worth noting that Reuters has Loeb's stake in Intel at about a billion dollars, which is significant. Uh, Third point throughout the year has really been tilting and leaning in towards some of these technology and media companies. Um, with Disney, of course, the fund is up over 12% for the year, which is pretty much in line with your typical stock picker for uh, your typical equity long short fund this year. Uh, slightly trailing the S&P, uh, but still a significant uh, return for the year nonetheless. So it's an interesting play. Uh, you know, typically when we do see activists lean into some sectors that have been in favor, uh, they do look for areas that they could, you know, some of the, the larger cap names that could uh, subsist beyond, you know, a potential downturn or, or something like that. So this is a, this is a really interesting name uh, for the firm, especially given, uh, you know, the performance as of late. Yeah. And um, as you, you mentioned, Les, too, I mean, the Disney thing has been such an overwhelming success in a reasonably short period of time. I remember we did the, you know, that news. It, it broke on this program when we were talking about it as, you know, Mr. Loeb laid out this plan of getting rid of the dividend and pouring all of this capital into the streaming side of, of Disney's business. And, you know, if not word for word of what Mr. Loeb wanted Disney to do, they certainly did a lot of the things in a very short period of time. That stock was, I think the low in, in March was like 88 or something like that, just barely under 90. And to see where that is today, I think it's like 170 um, as I look at shares of Disney now. I mean, it's been a remarkable, there it is, 177. Uh, just a remarkable turnaround. I, I got to take a break. Leslie, thank you so much. So glad you could be a part of this. That's Leslie Picker joining us there. We'll be right back with John's Unusual Activity Trades next.
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Mr. Options Man, what do you got? Unusual activity. All right, Scott. Uh, this one, uh, it's very short term. It's Alibaba. B-A-B-A. They're buying the December 235 calls. We all know uh, the last trading day of December is two days from now. Um, and that means that you've got that much time for something to happen with these. I'm in these calls, Scott. Stock has already started to move up from 232 to 236. I like that action. Second trade, Pitney Bowes. These are much longer time frame. February 5 calls, Scott. They're buying these calls very aggressively. 10,000 of them for 85 cents. That's a million share equivalent. Like that, I'll be in those probably till at least the first week of February. Uh Unusual activity aside, do you, you think some of the sell-off in Alibaba um, and what's happened regarding Jack Ma and the impact it's had on, on some of those stocks has been overdone or not? I don't think it's been overdone, um, but I think now maybe some deals get done, Scott. Okay. John, thank you. We have more trades ahead. We thank are you. back. Just two minutes. All right, welcome back. It's time for the futures outlook. Copper having a volatile session, still on pace, though, to close out the month up around 5% and up more than 27% on the year. For more on those moves, let's bring in Brian Stutland and Scott Nations. Uh, the year of copper, in many respects, Scott Nations, where's it going now? Yeah, well, I think it's going to go sideways for a while, Scott. It's actually lost about two cents over the, a pound over the last hour. It looks like it's making a run towards the lows of the day. But Brian's going to talk about the technicals. As far as the fundamentals, the fundamentals have to catch up to price. As you pointed out, it's just been a blistering year for copper because China had the field all themselves. They bought all the copper they could. They turned out a bunch of stuff with it. Now that we have COVID relief package out and people are getting money, we know that they're going to spend that money on stuff, whether it's something for the home or consumer electronics. They're going to spend that money on stuff. So it'll take a few months before we get to that point. But long term, we're going to see new highs in copper. All right. How about it, Stutz? you agree? Yeah. I mean, when you look at the technicals, they really set up really well. I mean, the lows of March from about 220 up to 293, that's about a 73 cent move, right? So momentum traders slingshot another 73 cents ahead of time. We're, we're sitting right at that 365 level just below it now. So to support Scott's thesis, the technicals line up of a sideways trade. I'd be a buyer if there's a 5 or 10% pullback in copper, but I like owning copper mining stocks better than copper itself just for the technicals have already lined up and made that significant move to the upside. So back and forth trading and, you know, buy when it dips, maybe sell when it rips. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, final trades in just a minute. However, first, we have another special Ask Halftime video question. This one from Kevin O'Leary. Hey, Mr. Wonderful here, and I've got a really simple question for the traders, and I don't want the loosey-goosey all-over-the-map answer. Yes or no will suffice. Do you own any Bitcoin? <laughs> 
All right. Thank you, Kevin. Doc, uh, you're, I think, the only one who does. No. Yep. Oh, Josh Brown. I I own it. Okay. Uh, I've owned it since 2017, Scott, and I think it goes a lot higher than this. I'll just say that to Kevin directly. Okay. Josh Brown, so I know you do, and and what we thought was so interesting today was Russell Okung. He's the the Pro Bowl offensive tackle with the Carolina Panthers today. Uh, He'll receive half of his $13 million salary in Bitcoin. It's funny, back in in May of last year, he tweeted, pay me in Bitcoin, and today, paid in Bitcoin, was another one from from at Russell Okung. So interesting, Josh. I don't understand. Can't he just take a salary and convert it himself in like two seconds? I don't understand. All right, whatever. I'm in Bitcoin. Uh, I, I agree with John. I think it's going higher. All right, give me a final trade quickly, Josh, if you could, please. Store capital also going higher. No resistance till 40. Michael Farr? Raytheon. It's uh, 19 times earnings. It's a grower, and it's almost a 3% dividend. Comeback play. Tiff, got to be quick. Corn Ferry, more than executive search firm, up 38% for the year. All right, Steph? DXC. All right. And uh, Doc? Rocket, RKT, Judge, bought it during the show. All right, good stuff. Thanks for watching. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.